University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkway. Visit ubc-br.org or at UBCBR on Facebook for more information. got a call from Apple this week. Apparently there's been a lot of downloads of David Bowie in Baton Rouge in the last month and they're not really sure why. Take a look at the book of Nehemiah chapter 3 verse 1. Now let's catch up in our narrative for those that have missed it. Uh, we learn about this cupbearer whose brother comes and visit him while the people are in exile and he hears that Jerusalem is in ruins and it says that Nehemiah mourned and prayed to God. A few months passes, and the cupbearer can no longer mask his anguish, and so his sour demeanor catches the eye of the great and most powerful king at this time, who says, what is this disturbance in the force? Okay, maybe that's my translation of it. But Nehemiah is surprised, and he tells the king that the holy city of Jerusalem, of its people's plight, and the king responds with, what do you need from me? And so we learned last week that Nehemiah returns to Jerusalem. He observes the destruction. He listens to the stories of the people. He invites the citizens to collaborate with him in rebuilding what was destroyed. And so we come to our text today. A quick warning for any expecting parents in the room. There are going to be some names in here that you're going to be tempted to use for your children. Nehemiah chapter 3 verse 1 reports, And Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priest, went to work and rebuilt the sheep gates. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hanel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Emery, built the next, next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hasanai. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. And Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hekaz, repaired the next section. Next tomb, Meshulah, son of Barakai, the son of Meshebel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Banana. Well, that sounds like banana, but it's more like Bana. Made, made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders into the work under their supervision. Now, I will go ahead and take gifts of praise and monetary contributions afterwards for avoiding the next 26 verses that repeat the naming of each person that helped rebuild the wall. Next to the genealogy lists of Genesis and Numbers and Kings, as well as Matthew and Luke's gospel, we, we see this odd listing of people. And there's two very important facts we need to realize from this text. The first thing is that individual contributions matter to the collective vision. The author could have simply said that a group of people repaired the walls and the gates, but instead the narrator opted to tell the specific names of the specific people that helped with the specific part of the city. Individual contributions matter for the collective vision. 
The second thing that we can deduce from this passage is that even the ancients were bothered by flaky and lazy people. I love that verse 5 tells us that the men of Tekoa, in biblical infamy, they will live forever because the author said they didn't put their shoulders into the work. What we will soon learn in the chapters to come is that other people who were tired came and had to make up for the work of these insufficient and flaky workers. In every relationship and organization and community, there are two types of people. There are givers and there are takers. When I was um, getting married, someone pulled me to the side at the wedding and gave me a great piece of advice. And he said, this is what you need to know about marriage. What is hers is hers, and what is yours is hers. Confession time. (laughs) Do you see yourself as a giver or taker? Givers, raise your hand. Takers, raise your hand. Well, about three-quarters of the congregation didn't participate this morning. (laughs) Speaking of of narcissists, there's a a simple test to know if you're a narcissist or not. You ready? Step one, here we got a visual on the screen. Step one, take a moment to think about yourself. Step two, if you made it to step two, then you're not a narcissist. I'm I'm being playful, but I'm sure at stages and situations of our life, we can found that we can be either the givers or the takers. There was a survey conducted that over 30,000 people across the world, they found that most people are right there in the middle of being givers and takers. The study uh, defined them as what's called matchers. Uh, Matchers tried to keep the balance between giving and taking. In other words, I'm going to serve you, and at the same time, I'm going to be served by others. The church is all of these things. The church is a series of relationships. It's an organization. It's a community of people. And so this raises the question for the church, does the church need to be made up of givers, takers, or matchers? And before we go any further, it is imperative for me to explain what I mean by giving and taking. Don't sell this conversation short by thinking I'm going to spend the next 20 minutes talking about tithing. When I'm talking about giving, I'm talking about the expression of your time and your resources and your strengths and your focus. Let me repeat that. When I'm talking about giving, I'm talking about your expression of your time, your resources, your strengths, and your focus. Now, there's this age-old saying for the church that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And it raises some very important questions. Did the 20% say that we had to come up with some clever saying so that we get credit for all the work that we do. Or it could be true that a good portion do very little. So is the church give and take, or is it both? The Apostle Paul is facing a conflict within the Corinthian church. Um, Conflict in the church, you say? Well, we wouldn't have two-thirds of the New Testament if there wasn't this thing called conflict in the church. And in particular, he's dealing with a community of people. Some were acting like their gifts and strengths were God's gift to humanity. And some people were undervaluing their gifts and their strengths. And so the old apostle paints the image of the church as a body. Each member has a certain functioning part. Some are the fingers, while others are the toes. And I'm sure what Paul really wanted to point out was that some are the stinky armpit and others are the worthless appendix. Um, If this was the book of Galatians, we would have Paul specifically saying that someone is an ingrown toenail and others a nose pimple. But it's Corinthians, so he's a little bit more happy. Just read the book of Galatians. Paul is very angry. Uh, But alas, he writes these beautiful words. 
Just as the body, though of many parts, is one, but all parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, for we were all given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. We are not too far from Christmas um, that we can recall some of the best gifts we've ever received. Um, Some of us are recalling some of the worst gifts we've ever received. I'm sure some guy in here thought it was a good idea one year to give your wife a vacuum cleaner for Christmas because nothing says a gift to you like giving you work to do. Um, One of the best gifts I ever received was a char griller acorn Komodo cooker. We've got an image of it up here. It's a combination grill and smoker, and this thing is awesome. It's got a a dual vent system, which allows me to control the temperatures of the coals. It's uh, 306 square inches of cooking space, which allows me to have to smoke enormous amounts of meats. Eventually, uh, it it easily takes apart so I can clean all of of the things, and it's made of uh, preventable, rust-preventable things. I've smoked pork shoulder, turkey, cabbage. Yes, I've smoked cabbage. Duck, chicken wings, sausage, sweet potatoes, ribs on this thing. And one of the most amazing things about this gift is allows me to serve others. This wonderful thing that I enjoy doing, my friends and my family can benefit from as well. I think that's what Nehemiah is trying to convey with naming each specific person that helped with the portion of the wall. Why else would he name each name and their gifts and their talents and their strengths and their resources? God has given us, each of us, amazing gifts. This amazing gift is for your benefit. It it benefits your life, this church community, and the world. And like some who are assisting with the rebuilding of Jerusalem, we might undervalue or we might undercut what God has given us. And for some, to hear that you are unique and uniquely gifted seems like such a foreign concept. Because you, you go about your day with little to no regard that there's something significant about you. Your story Your insights, your passion, your personality, your perception, your assets, your strengths are something that individually are crafted to you. And this is something that you should celebrate. This is something that should be utilized. Daily living in and out of your strength is not some mere act, but it's a profound opportunity to impact your friends and your families and your workplace and the church and the kingdom of God. I want you to stop and consider how God has gifted you. And don't let that question go one year, not the other. Really think deeply, how has God uniquely gifted me? May we come to celebrate and embrace the individuality and the collectiveness of our giftedness together, that each person matters. Each person matters. Each person is adding brick by brick to this wall, to these gates. They're adding their unique giftedness and strengths and resources and passions, and it matters for the kingdom of God. Every single person has a part that makes up this body of Christ. Even if we think it's small and insignificant, your journey matters for the church. It matters for the kingdom of God. It matters for the world. Even if you grace one of these chairs in here, or it doesn't matter if I stand up here and speak, or if you hold a baby for 30 minutes while I'm running my mouth, you might be part of the most overworked committee of this church. Every single person 
matters. Every person matters to God. Every person matters to God's church. And, and for far too many, unfortunately, the church has done a poor job of inviting us into this process. For many of us, our relationship with the church is much like our relationship with our favorite sports teams. We are just mere spectators watching the work of God play out. But God has not uniquely equipped you for you to sit on the sidelines and to watch. God is inviting you to create and be a part of this work. But at the same time, the church can also do an awful job by, by letting all of the ministerial staff and major leadership to do all the work of the church. But your portion matters. The fact remains, each person matters for the church, for the kingdom of God, for the process of you becoming the person that God created you to be. When the girls were younger, I loved playing puzzles with them. And I said younger because this primarily meant that it was those puzzles that have the little pegs in them. Um, and the pre-shaped holes, and I knew where to put everything. It was not really for the girls. It was for me. I'm not a very smart man. Um, that was my best Forrest Gump accent. Was that pretty good? Was that halfway decent? No, not very. I'll try it again later on. Um, so Aubriana was a little different than Madison because typically for Aubriana, when we did a puzzle, it wasn't just let me turn it over and let the puzzle pieces fall out. Aubriana's favorite thing to do is to dump it over and to put the pieces everywhere. And so what would happen when you would start to put these puzzle pieces together, let's just say, for example, the zoo animals. You would get towards the end, and there's no giraffe to fit into the giraffe slot. Where's the giraffe? Or you get to the vehicle puzzle, and all of a sudden you're looking, and there's no police car. The police car is probably patrolling the rest of the playroom, trying to find that crazy giraffe. This repeats with the princess puzzle and the farm animal puzzles, but they're, they're not really hiding somewhere. They're just missing, and so these puzzles are always incomplete. As a puzzle cannot be completed without all its parts, may we come to see that the vision of the church and the mission of the kingdom of God cannot be complete without each person contributing themselves to the effort. Nehemiah wants its readers to know that there were some who slacked off, there were some who did not contribute to the rebuilding of the wall. If you recall to Paul's text earlier in Corinthians, the case that Paul is trying to make in the church is that each person matters. The body of Christ is essential, that each individual part plays a role. And so what I want us to hear this morning is, yes, the church is essential for our life and for our formation. In this individualized American Christianity, it's become too easy to convince ourselves that we don't need the church. It's easy not to be a part of a local faith community when you can just watch a worship service or listen to a podcast online, on TVs, or on our smartphones. Someone would say, the church is full of hypocrites, so I don't go, or we're too busy for the church right now, or we're just shopping around to find the right fit of what we need. But the church is God's gift to us. The church is a local community of people who journey together in this great narrative of faith. The church is a community of people who challenge us to grow, provide us a space to worship God authentically, empower us to serve God and others, and let us be an encouragement to one another. The church is a community that lets our giftedness bless others and lets others bless us in return by sharing their gifts. The church is not God's give or take gift to us. It's an essential gift for our faith journey. The church is necessary because we cannot be the body of Christ all on our own. As much as your mama told you you were special, 
You are not all Jesus unto yourself. We all need the church. Do you recall the very first narrative in the Bible? It tells of the primordial existence of, of God and, and of, of this great universe. But then it, it goes from this cosmic level down to this relational level as the ancient writer tells us that God walked with God's creation. But the relationship was not one-sided. God did not say to, to this first humanity, Welp, I've just done everything for you. Here's the earth. Go forth and use up all its resources. Instead, what we see is God invites humanity into becoming co-creators with God. For some, the thought of co-creating with God seems like a foreign concept because we believe that we don't bring much value to the world. What kind of life are you creating? You get to shape it, form it, steer it, make it into something. You have more power to do this than you realize. What kind of work are you creating? What kind of world are you creating? For some, the world is already created. It's, it's fixed. It's static. Reality is set in place. It's done. But what if God is looking for partners, people to help God co-create the world? As one author put it, all work is creative work because all work is participating in the ongoing creation of the world. More often than not, when we look within ourselves for what we have to give to the church community, whether it be our time, our resources, our, our strengths, our focus, we undervalue ourselves and what we have to offer. And at the same time, we are undervaluing the full life God has intended for us. You might have thoughts like, my opinion doesn't matter. They couldn't use my experience here. My leadership wouldn't help. This resource isn't going to make a difference. What gift is mine in the grand scheme of things? No matter your age or the number of years you've been a member of one church or the other, what your journey looks like, whether past or present, you matter. You are a co-creator of this beautiful world. Yes, your ability to take care of others, to sing, to teach, to plan, to think deeply, to counsel others, to create art, to nurture, to build relationships, to bring a smile to other people's face, to navigate technology, to play an instrument, to lead by example, to think theologically, and to do financial planning matters. Your $2 in the offering plate matters equally as much as the person who dropped a grand. Yes, your 20 minutes a month to teach children your 30 minutes per month of greeting, your one and a half hours of willing to engage in deep, meaningful dialogue with others matters. Yes, your investment for the spiritual formation of others matters. Connect groups, teaching children, worship leadership, hanging out with students, engaging in missional ministries, changing a light bulb, de-weeding the garden beds around this facility, listening to the story of a new person who walks in this door. It matters. There's someone in here who believes that you don't bring great value to this faith community, and I'm happy to tell you that you're wrong. You matter. And we're just getting warmed up on how you matter for this faith community. We haven't even begun to explore how you bring value to your workplace and your home and your community as a co-creator with God. The same study that we spoke of earlier that talks about givers, takers, or matchers, you know what the study found? Givers improve their community. 
Givers improve their relationships, their organization. Givers mentor, encourage partners, care for their customers and guests, improve the retention of participants in the organization, and see better results and success. It should not be a novel concept, but givers improve their community. Over our lifetime, we all have received gifts. Just think of the number of Christmases and birthdays and Easter's and Halloween's and Festivus and anniversary gifts you have received. Just a few Seinfeld fans in here. We get so many gifts. And one of the more fascinating gifts my parents gave me was a set of golf clubs. And I know that doesn't sound fascinating, but in the context they were given, it's actually quite charming. To date uh, of receiving the gift, my father was the only one in the family who played golf. Um, He picked it up on his own. My brothers showed little to no interest in it. And I, on the other hand, I I rode with dad often around the golf course. Occasionally, he would take me to the driving range and let me use his clubs. So when I opened this gift on my birthday, I didn't ask for it. I wasn't expecting it. In all honesty, they didn't put a lot of money into this set because they didn't think, well, we don't know if he's going to keep this going or not. So they probably spent about $100 on a starter set. But this small gift became such a tremendous asset in my relationship with my father. Dad and I would start playing round after round together. We'd go to the driving range. We'd been on multiple golf trips together. The golf course became the space where we could talk about life and share valuable time together. And all this came from a cheap set of golf clubs that cost very little in comparison to this output. Now, I also have to note that my $100 golf club set has whipped a couple people in this church who will spend a grand on theirs or so. We're talking about humility today. If you spent one Sunday in this faith community, then you know we're different. There's something about the relationships and experiences of this church that is so different than anywhere else. And as we look closer, we discover That this church functions because so many people give of themselves to make it happen. On a given week, it takes 100 to 150 people to contribute their giftedness and strengths and passions to make the mechanisms of this community happen. Teaching children, Mother's Day Out, Family Tree Cafe, Church of the Nation, students, worship, Sunday school teachers, connect group leadership, ministry partnerships, greeting, governing board, counting, and so much more. These Very ministries and initiatives have benefited us. They have shaped our children and our grandchildren. They've formed us into who we have become. So I wonder if you would discover what giftedness and strengths and resources and talents and passions you have and how they might bring value to this faith community. Make time this week to talk to the pastoral staff after worship. Come make an appointment with one of our committees. Come come by the office this week and let's discover together what makes you so unique. And as you do this, know that your gifts and strengths will be utilized for the formation of this community as a whole. Nehemiah reports that the specific people worked on a specific task in rebuilding the wall. And he gives us a specific result. Ten towers and, and two towers and, and ten gates. Their work provided security for Jerusalem as people. Their work gave the people hope. Stop and imagine what this church community has given to you. Stop and imagine what you can give to this faith 
community. We are a successful community. We are better because people give of themselves to UBC, to Church of the Nations, to worship leadership, from mentoring teenagers to missional projects, from one-on-one relationships to connect group leadership, from planning leadership development, from discipleship to developing communities. Stop and imagine what giving of yourself could do for this faith community. Stop and imagine what our collective gifts could do together for the kingdom of God. Imagine how the giving of all of our time, all of our resources, all of our strength and focus would make UBC more successful. Imagine how it would help the kingdom of God grow. Imagine how the giving of yourself opens us up to fulfill and live into the life that God has created for us. And imagine how the sharing of your life contributes to the restoration of this community and God's world. As the author wrote, all work is creative work because all work is participating in the ongoing creating of the world.